If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, I'm going to be reading a few verses from Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do rejoice that we have in your word, in your righteous judgments, in your testimonies, we have wisdom and understanding and things beyond compare, riches that we cannot sum up. And you've given them to us to study, to meditate upon, to, to walk in. And we ask that we would delight in your word, delight in the revelation that you've given of yourself and the insight that you've given us into how we ought to walk with your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would do these things for the building up of your church. In Christ's name we pray. My intention for the summer series was to, and that is past, <laughs> was to uh, look at some issues that come up naturally in the reading and studying of the book of Galatians, particularly the, the relation of Paul, Paul to the law, not just in Galatians, but in other sections of Scripture, and some of those uh, prickly issues of what about the Jews? What about their reliance on the law? And Paul's, again, Paul's relation, or as uh, one of the authors that I have come to really appreciate his scholarship, says that it is not just our understanding of what Paul says about the law, but we also ought to look at how, what Paul does with the law. How does Paul interact with the law in his own life and his own preaching? And as I began to uh, try to put those things together from last week to this, I realized that there is so much more to Galatians than I was able to glean in the short time that we went through that. Uh, keeping in mind, again, what one author has said, that we should not make Paul say everything he says about the law or about these issues in only one book. And he, he wrote several letters, and we ought not to take the sum total of what he says about the law, for instance, just from Galatians, that we need to fill that out. And yet again, I found that my, my own reading, my own understanding of what Paul says in this short letter of Galatians is, 
is so much beyond, I think, what I was able to, to touch, to, to actually grasp. And I came uh, to looking at this idea of boasting in the cross and realizing that there is so much more that we could say. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book called The Cross, which was a series of messages that he um, preached in the uh, early 1960s. In fact, he was preaching um, during the time uh, of the assassination of John F. Kennedy in 1963. In the preface of that book, he says that after 26 years in the pulpit at Westminster, he sometimes would have these these wrongful thoughts, either that he uh, fell into himself or, as he writes, that he was tempted by the devil to think that he preached it all, that he really exhausted what there was to say about the cross. And yet, as he even meditated on that sentence, he wrote this, There is no end to this glorious message of the cross, for there is always something new and fresh and entrancing and moving and uplifting that one has never seen before. And so as we meditate again this evening on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, I want to bring out at least one of the aspects that, that I think I overlooked, um, perhaps blinded to in my focus on, uh, I, th I think, what comes naturally to us as American Christians to think about the removal of our sins and the individual salvation that we have in Christ. And as beautiful as that is, there, there is more in Galatians about unity, about the oneness of the body in Christ as a result of the forgiveness of our sins. Paul's Boasting here in Galatians 6.14, but may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we read from John Stott last week, calling it an obsession, or some authors call it a most unusual obsession of glorying in something that was awful, something that was brutal, violent, um, unspoken in polite society. But he reveled in it. He rejoiced in it. He, he gloried in the cross of Christ. And in the book of Galatians, as we said, from the beginning to the end, kind of bookending this idea of the cross from chapter 1, verse 4, he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of this present evil age. The, even the, the cross coming in in the introduction to Paul's uh, letter to the Galatians, even as he writes in a polemical style, um, again, he, he writes um, what, what some have termed a little more calmly when we come to Romans, kind of outlining them and uh, these ideas in a logical way. And he, he does have a, a direction that he's going in Galatians, and yet he begins with looking at Christ giving himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of this present evil age. Paul could look at the cross and it showed him the glory of God in his fatherly love and his, his rescuing us and giving this great gift of, of his son and through his son forgiveness for our sins. 
the cross showed him the, the love of Christ in, in giving himself. He gave himself, he says, for my sins. Or later he says, who loved me and gave himself for me in giving himself up for his people. But as there are in many publications that I read, I tend to read uh, things online in, in the sports world. You read and you think you've understood the article and then the author will say, but wait, there's more. And there is so much more, as Lloyd-Jones says, no end to this glorious message. And yet Paul puts it first, not as the end. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This wasn't a plan B from God. This was not some afterthought. This was not something that Paul made up or said, you know, it kind of looks like this. He says, according to the Scriptures, these things happen. And we need to get our hands around them. We need to grasp them. And yet again, I believe that it is it, this glorious message is something that takes energy and strength for us to, to meditate upon. In the hymn that we sometimes sing, and it's one of the most popular hymns, I think, in the Christian world, How Great Thou Art, by Carl Boberg. And one of the verses in there, it says, And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. And I think that phrase, I scarce can take it in, probably uh, describes me. And yet we don't need, because we can scarce take it in, because it is deep, and because it is wonderful, and because it is awesome, that's no excuse that we ought not uh, give ourselves to trying to understand the cross, to try to understand the boast of the cross, the awesomeness of the cross. But what makes it so vital? Why this boasting? Why is the message of the cross to Paul of first importance? How does the preaching of Christ and Him crucified, the Christ who is the wisdom of God and the power of God, how does it work in us? How does it change us? How does it make us more like Christ in this world? And has that message of the cross changed the world? Has it done anything outside of those who believe it and those who claim to boast in it as Paul does? In the book of Galatians, Paul is, as I said, he's making a polemical argument. He, he's trying to show the error of the agitators in the requirement that the Gentile Christians ought to be circumcised and that they ought to, if they want to be fully Christians, fully in the kingdom of God, they must obey the laws of Moses. And he put that, they put them forth as a requirement for all the believers. But Paul also shows us a deep desire that he has that we would understand that there is a unity of all believers, all of the brethren, and that they all ought to walk in step with the Spirit as part of what he calls here in verse 15 of chapter 6, a new creation. A new creation that was inaugurated 
and brought in and brought to fruition and brought to, to the world that would not have been brought to the world except by the death of Christ. When we read a book like Galatians, and again, I think it shows some of my weakness in my own reading, is we need to go back into the scriptures and see these types, these shadows, these things that God has, has laid out before these things come. And we need to go back to the Old Testament to look at the promise that, that Paul speaks of in Galatians, the promise given to Abraham. We, we need to look at well, what do these things mean that, that God has come for our sins and that he delivered us out of the quote-unquote present evil age. Where do these things come from? Where does this idea of those being under the curse of the law, where do they come from? Well, I'd like to briefly take us through a few passages of the Old Testament to look at the promise, to look at the, the Passover, the idea of God rescuing his people out of somewhere, and the curse. In Genesis chapter 12, we read about God's promise to Abram. And in that promise, he, yes, he speaks directly to Abram. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. But there is something of the future here. There is God's vision for what this would mean to the world, to the entirety of the human race. He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth, not just the little nation of Israel, but the entire world would benefit, would come to be a part and have a part in and be blessed by this blessing of the promise that he made to Abraham. That's the first anchor for Paul, the promise. But then we look at in Exodus chapter 12, we see the first Passover, and it's signal of freedom. And Paul speaks much in Galatians of freedom. And here we see the freedom from slavery to the political power that was Egypt. In explaining this, Moses writes, And the blood, the blood of the Lamb, shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Israel's rescue showcased the power and the might and, I think, the ingenuity and presence of Almighty God. But it began with the sacrifice, with the death of a Passover lamb. And then we read of the curses upon the people in Deuteronomy 27. And I chose a verse from there because Paul uses in um, his uh, polemical argument against the uh, agitators, he uses verses out of Deuteronomy 21 and Deuteronomy 27. And in Deuteronomy 27, we, we see this list of curses. And they are really, um, it's the beginning of, of Moses writing what God uh, had given him that, that some call the covenant stipulations. 
These are the things that the Lord expected of them as they were to enter the land of promise. As they were about now to receive the, the promise. And he told them to set up the, the monuments, the altars on both sides, and so that they would, would have the, the idea of the promise and also the warning. But he says, Be silent and listen, O Israel, that this day you have become a people for the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the Lord your God and do His commandments and His statutes which I command you today. But of course we know that not only a few individuals of Israel, but all Israel rebelled. They all fell into idolatry. They all did not obey these commands and statutes which he commanded them that day. And in Deuteronomy 29 we read, And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and in fury and in great wrath and cast them into another land. There was a curse upon them for their disobedience, for their rebellion, for their idolatry. And it has been said that in Jewish eschatology, that is their understanding of death and the destiny of an individual's soul, that there's really the two sides. There is the present age and there is the age to come. And in the prophet Jeremiah, we read about that age to come. In Jeremiah 31, he writes, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, but I will put their law within them and my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. I believe in light of these things, we can see that the cross that Paul boasted in, that he gloried in, was the new Passover. The cross was the undoing of the curse. The cross is really what counts. As he said, what counts is a new creation. I think the cross for Paul signaled these things. And yes, there are many things for which it signaled to him its beauty and its awesomeness. But I would like to bring these three out. Again, in Galatians 1, verse 4, Paul says that it was Christ Jesus who gave himself for our sins. It showed Paul that our sins have been forgiven. That the cross meant the death of sin and the end of its tyranny over him and over all believers. It, it, it meant a death, but it was a death of, of that dominion of sin over man. It showed him that sin no longer holds him in enslavement, that it, it doesn't have it in its death grip any longer. It no longer strangles its people in that enslavement. Paul says that it might, he might, God, might deliver us out of this present evil age. It's a freedom. It's a freedom from that enslavement, but it's not the freedom from the enslavement of Egypt and the human, earthly, socio-political power of Egypt, but a freedom from this present evil age. 
A freedom inaugurated only by the death of Christ. Without that death, there would no, be no age to come. There would not be the days that Jeremiah prophesied that were coming. The cross brought in the new day. The cross inaugurated the age to come. The age is here. The age of the cross. The age when Christ died for our sins. Without these things, our sins would not be forgiven. Our sins would not be taken away. And we would not have this new age. The cross is the new Passover. In chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writes these words, For as many as are the works of the law, of the works of the law. In other words, those who are of the works party, those who are of the works covenant of the law, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. The blessing that God spoke to Abraham of in Genesis 12 is inaugurated in the cross. The cross is the undoing of the curse why? Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. The curse that he speaks of to the people in Deuteronomy 21 and 27 has now been taken out on Christ. He redeemed us from that curse. He became, as Paul says, a curse for us in order that in Christ Jesus that blessing, the blessing that was promised. Yes, Abraham was to be blessed and he was to be himself a blessing, but in him all the nations of the earth were to be blessed. So what was promised to Abraham all those many years before came to fruition. But how? Because of the cross. The death of Christ brought it about. The blessing that was to be extended to all the families of the earth now was happening because of the cross. To boast in the cross is to boast in the blessing of the world through the death of Christ. And the cross also is what counts. Because it had brought about for Paul what really counts, a new creation. Paul says in verse 15, For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Christ's death and resurrection, as he said, crucified me to the world. It, it meant that I had, was no longer influenced by the world. The world was crucified to me, but... It also put to death one other thing. It put to death not only Paul, it put to death the, the world, but it put to death all previous identities and ethnic boundaries between the Jews and the Gentiles. Perhaps that's what Paul writes of in Ephesians 1, when he speaks, or Ephesians 2, where he speaks of the barrier of the dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. This barrier, this 
idea of our ethnic barriers, our ethnic boundaries, the things that make the Jews and the things that make the Gentiles was put to death by the cross. There is a new identity, a new creation for all people of God, and that's worth boasting about. A unity of the people of God, all who would walk by this rule, mercy and peace to you. All who walk by this rule, boasting in the cross because of what Christ has done. This cross also signifies to us that our walking, our living, our daily lives ought to be cross-driven, ought to be gospel-driven, that we have a gospel-driven holiness. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He sees, again, that boasting in the cross, if it weren't for the the death of Christ, I have been crucified with Him. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, he says, in this flesh, the life that I live in this fleshly body, I live by faith in the Son of God. I am a new creation. It is no longer I, but it's Christ who lives in me. Chapter 5, he writes, Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. These things were inaugurated by the death of Christ. This is why he can boast. He can boast not in himself. I mean, we we know how Paul looks back at his life in other letters that he wrote. The Pharisee of the Pharisees, the tribe of Benjamin, all of these things that he did, all the things that he could have gloried in, and yet he says that it's rubbish. But I boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross has brought a unity of God's people Christ, the the cross has brought a purpose for God's people, how they ought to live for His glory. So how can we turn back? How how can we look back at what the cross represents? That that new age has come, that that break with the curse of the law, that, that event that happened to shake the world. How can we turn back? He says, after this great proclamation, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I, but I'm living by Christ, by faith. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, if there was a way for righteousness to come through the law, then Christ died needlessly. You have taken away my reason for boasting. You've taken away that which I glory in, that which I revel in, that obsession that I have. Christ died needlessly. Chapter 4, he says, but now that you have come to know God, or he corrects himself, now that you have have come, become known by God, how is it 
he says to the Gentile believers. How is it that you want to turn back again to these weak and worthless and elemental things? In other words, why do you want to turn back to the present evil age when the new age has come? You desire to be enslaved to it all over again. Do not, my friends. Do not turn back. The present evil age has been put to death because of Christ on the cross. And you have come to the age of a new creation. A new life. Living our lives no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So at the end of his book, he can say to them, and let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we shall reap if we did not grow weary, Let us continue to live our lives boasting in the cross. Nothing else will do. He says, may it never be that I should boast. He means there is never anything, there will never be anything, there never was anything, there cannot be anything in which I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father, again, we ask that you would cause us to meditate upon these things. To, to glory in the cross of Jesus Christ and the new things that have come because of that. Father, that we would not want to turn back, turn back the clock to a, a, an era of walking and trying to keep the law even though we can't. An era of, of trying to please you in our, in our own strength, knowing that we can. An era in which the, the present evil age is, is overpowering and enslaving and elemental and weak and worthless. Please, Father, that we would walk boasting only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, rejoicing in Him. And then we may turn our face to you and may we live by the Spirit and keep in step with Him that we may glorify You and honor You in all that we do and all that we say and all that we act. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Please rise for the benediction. From Paul's ending of this great letter, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren.